When he killed them, they sought him. They repented and sought God earnestly. They remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer. But they flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. That's verses 34 to 39 of Psalm 78, which is the first 39 verses of which are the psalm appointed for today, Tuesday, May the 11th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm John Green, and I'm your host. The lessons today come from Deuteronomy, from James, and from the Gospel of Luke still. So we're continuing the movement through Deuteronomy, but I want to drop back just for a second and give you the context for Psalm 78 in case you haven't read it yet. So in Psalm 78, what uh, the psalmist is getting at is is that, that he's trying to teach them a lesson from the past. He's trying to say that that here's what happened all through the ages. He's recounting the history of Israel, and in doing so, he's pointing out where God has done great things, but the people then weren't steadfast towards him. Remember, that was James's argument yesterday, that testing provides steadfastness. And so he, he gives example after example of where God's been incredibly faithful. He has done great things for the people, and yet the people have turned away from him. They've failed to follow him. They have not been steadfast. They were there in the moment, but they were not there two moments later. When, when the pressure was off, they failed to continue to follow him. And, that, and that's certainly a great temptation. You know, the thing is, is that the test could be giving you something, and that's really and truly what Moses is talking about here in this Deuteronomy passage from Deuteronomy 8, 11 to 20. Yesterday, remember, it ended with this, this phenomenal description of the promised land that God was going to give to them because of the covenant that he had made with their fathers. And so today, we start to see Moses' fear. He says, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, what I command you today. And it's an interesting thing, and it's something we rarely think about, and we're rarely taught, but it's true. You know, I mentioned yesterday, the point of the festivals, the point of communion, the point of all these things, the, of, is to remember. But it's a specific kind of remembering, and it's, it's called anamnesis in Greek. And so the point of the festivals, like they build booths and live in those booths for a period of time during that feast, and they do it for a particular reason, and that is they need to be reminded very physically and personally of what it was like for their ancestors to have been in the wilderness. They keep the Passover feast and keep the Seder in order to remember those things by putting themselves in the shoes of those people. It needs to be personal. You need to have experienced the Exodus. You need to have experienced the time in the wilderness. And so that's the point of those. And it's bringing the past into the present that I might then be changed by that anamnesis kind of remembering. And so what Moses is saying here is, is is that the way that we remember God is by keeping his commandments, his rules, and his statutes, which were commanded to them. There's a physicality to our lives. We're not just minds. Our physical bodies need to be disciplined in a certain way because if if not, we follow, as I said yesterday, and this is just from the... uh, um, the beginning column, not collect, really, prayer in morning prayer is the great thanksgiving, is, is that we follow too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. 
And so that's the issue is, is that our bodies need to be physically need to be disciplined so that they react the same way under pressure. They react the, the way they're designed to. They react in such a way that they follow the commandments of God. And so he's, this remembering and forgetting are closely related. If you don't keep the commandments, if you're not living a life in accordance with the way God told you to live it, then you're forgetting him. And the more you do that, the more you forget him. And we're called to remember him. But the way that we remember him is not just reading his word, it's also by doing his word and becoming those kinds of people. And he says, take care lest you forget him by failing to do these things, lest that when you've eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and your herds and flocks multiply, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, that your fathers didn't know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, he says, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gave you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant as he swore to his fathers as it is this day. And that's the point. The point is that the reason that we we do the word of God and the commandments of God is that we not forget him ultimately and that we remember, we keep ourselves humble in the sight of God. We remember that he's the one who gives us all things. And, and that's sometimes a difficult thing in times of prosperity. It's always been a difficult and dangerous time for the church is times of prosperity. The church actually flourishes and prospers more when it's not prosperous in the eyes of the world. And so God's calling us to, to, to a humility before him that remembers that he's the one who gave us everything we have, all our gifts, all our talents, and every single material blessing that we have. And we can't let those things become a snare to us. We can't let ourselves become proud of our gifts and talents because we didn't create ourselves. We can't be proud of our material possessions because those things are fleeting and they just pass away. And that's what Moses says. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God, by forgetting to keep his commandments, by not keeping those things. And and then he goes on to say, here's the price for that. If you forget the Lord your God and you go after other gods and you serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely die. That's Genesis 3 language. If you don't do these things, if you do those things that he forbid you from doing, then you will surely die. Like the Lord, the nations the Lord makes perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And that's exactly the charge that's laid at the feet of Adam is you obeyed the voice of your wife. And here it's the same thing because you didn't obey the voice of the Lord your God. And, And so the way we remember, the way that we make sure that we remember is to do the things God gave us to do. So we read the Word of God, we digest the Word of God, and then we do the Word of God. Whatever He commands us to do, then we do it. And here we get Jesus teaching the disciples to pray because they asked. Lord, teach us to pray as John taught His disciples. And He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. 
give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. It's a very simple prayer, but it begins with setting God on the throne, asking for his kingdom to come. It's the, the asking for the kingdom to come is the acknowledgement that this world isn't as it should be, nor is it as God intended it to be. So it, it takes us away from the blame game of saying this happens, why did God allow that? No, we're asking God for his kingdom to come in order that we could see that because we know it's not our idea, something we cooked up, that this is the way things ought to be. We know instinctively, and we know also by reading the Word of God, that God is a good God, and therefore his kingdom is not established on this earth so long as we see injustice, so long as we see pain, so long as we see death. And so we're asking for his kingdom to come because we know that he is good. His name's hallowed because he's great, and he's, we want his kingdom to come because we know it's a good kingdom. And then it just puts us in that place that I've said before. Christianity, well-defined, is one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. And so it's give us each day our daily bread. Keep us humble before you and keep us in a place where we acknowledge that everything we have comes from you. And then beseeches him to forgive our sins because we know who we are. We are going to be those people. And we trust in him because we see ourselves forgiving and we are then called because we've been forgiven to forgive others and then lead us not into temptation in other words keep us in a place where we're not tempted don't take us anywhere where we might fail you it's trusting him in all things trusting him for the path trusting him for provision trusting him for everything that we need but the acknowledgement that his name is hallowed and we need forgiveness because we're sinners and then he goes on to talk about prayer and says, which one of you who has a friend to go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, give me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he'll answer from within, don't bother me. The door's now shut. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. He said, no, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs because he's knocking on the door in the middle of the night and you can't turn that guy away. And then he says, ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it'll be open to you. And then he's promising that God will answer our prayers in such a way that's good. And that's what he says is, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a serpent or ask for an egg? Will you give him a scorpion? No, if you're who evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so we come to our Father in asking these things. A Father who is, who is benevolent and loving, but He is also hallowed. He is also great. He is also powerful. He is merciful, but there is judgment as well. And so when we come to Him, we come with that humility, but with faith, all at the same time. We know who we are, and we confess our sins in order that, that he, we might be forgiven, that we might receive grace, and we might receive mercy. And then we pray and ask him for these simple things in order that we might live a life that's pleasing to him. Don't give us more than we can handle, Lord, on either end of the spectrum. Don't give us more difficulty than we can handle, but don't give us more prosperity than we can handle either. Because both of those things are snares to us, potentially. 
And James goes on to say, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is above, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change of his own will. He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be kind of a first fruits of his creation. Know this, my beloved brothers, that every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And it's true, right? I mean, you can write that letter or that email, but then put it in draft form. <laughs> Leave it alone. Pray over that and see whether God would actually have you write that or not. Or are you acting in anger rather than from, from righteousness to speak these things? And he says, put away filthiness and wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. But then he goes on to say exactly what I was saying. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For anyone who is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he'll be blessed in his doing in his doing and and that's an important thing for us to remember is as i was thinking about this trying to come up with a decent analogy of, about what that looks like what he's trying to say there and this is a decent sort of modern analogy i'm not saying that james didn't give a good analogy i'm just saying that that what i was thinking about was any kind of a sport for instance I can learn to hit a baseball, I can learn to catch a baseball, I can learn to play third base, which is what I did when I was a kid, when I was like nine, maybe or ten years old, I was put at third base. And so there was a, I ran across a little pamphlet by, about a guy named Brooks Robinson, who was the greatest third baseman at that time, right? Brooks Robinson could play third base so unbelievably well. And so I read this thing, and I wanted to be Brooks Robinson, and I read that thing. But the reality is is that when I got into the game, you know, I saw all the things that Brooks said to do, and then when I got into the game, I had a very difficult time pulling all those things off. One, because I wasn't as talented as him. And two, well, because I didn't practice those things all that hard, to be perfectly honest with you. I just wanted to be that. But if I don't put it into practice, then I never actually learn to play third base, which is absolutely true. One of the other things that I would say, and another example I would give is, is that I passed geometry. I did perfectly fine in it when I was in high school. I don't remember any of it. I didn't remember any of it, at least, until I started doing woodworking. And when I started doing woodworking, I learned a lot of geometry because it had a practical application. And that's the reason that educational systems have changed a whole lot since, you know, guys like me who are 60 years old were, were there. And that is, I, I can learn to do a lot of things by reading. I can learn to do a lot of things by hearing things. But, but if I don't do them, then I haven't actually learned them. I've just learned how to do something. I haven't learned to actually do it. And that's the point of all the things that we've read today. And that is, got to put these things into practice if you're really going to learn them. And if you don't put them into practice, you'll forget them in an instant. I can promise you that because I know what happened to me when I started trying to do carpentry. I had to go back and learn all this geometry that I had, quote, learned a long time ago. But I forgot it because it never went into practice for me. It was never used. So I had to go back and learn it in order to use the geometry that I had, quote, learned. And it's the same with the Word of God. And it's the reason we're called to do this. And it's the reason for the incarnation, actually, is Jesus wanted to show us that it actually has a content and it has a purpose, and it looks like something. It's not just words on a page. 
It's not just words that we have committed to memory. No, it's a life to be lived.